Well, we are finishing up this series of uh, asking for a friend. And so the questions from this series have come from you, from people from all of our campuses. And uh, we received those questions back in August. And we just said, hey, what do we, you know, we don't want to just make up what we think uh, people from our congregation would be asking, but we want to know what you are asking. So we have been walking through some of these questions. Uh, I don't know, we probably had, I don't know, maybe a hundred questions. Of course, we couldn't answer all of them. Uh, but uh, you know, some of them have been doctrinal questions where we're like, hey, these, these are critical to our faith. And this, these, are, these things are essential to our faith. And then we've also been dealing with questions that you know, fall under the, the non-essential category, uh, you know, things that are, are disputable matters. And we're like, hey, study the scriptures, listen to God, and it is okay if, if we disagree on some things. And, and you know what? We can actually still be friends. Oh my gosh. We can disagree with each other and still like each other and love each other and be friends. I, crazy thought, I know. Uh, but it's possible. It truly is. And, and, and we say, you know, one of the things we say here is we, we want to have unity in the essential belief. We want to give freedom in the non-essential belief. And always we want to relate to each other in love. And so we're, we're going to look at a, a variety of questions. Kind of, we're going to bookend two questions, then we're, we're going to do the PG questions in the middle. Okay? Um, and someone came out of worship last week, and I said we're going to talk about sex and, and drugs and, and alcohol. And then the person's like, the "Place is going to be packed." <laughs> I was like, "That would be awesome. That would be great." Uh, but before we get to to to, to those, uh, let, let's start with this question: How can I minister to my adult? unbelieving children? That's a great question. You know, as, a, as my children now are adults, it's, you know, I, I realize parenting, it never ends, does it? Right? Kids, our kids might grow up, right? They, they might move on, but, but they, they're still going to look to their mom and dad for, for wisdom and, and direction. And it's, I think it's always going to be needed. I, I, I'm, I'm over 50 now. I still call my dad. And ask for wisdom and direction whenever I'm struggling with things. So I think really at the heart of this question is the question of how do we have spiritual conversations with our adult children? Or maybe our adult parents, right, who are not believers. Such that it doesn't spiral into a fight, right? And so let, let me just give you a couple ideas, a couple things to think about. So first of all, I think consistency is key. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they excuse, accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And, and Jesus says in John chapter 13, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the reality is, you know, our, our families know us better than anybody else. Our lives are an open book to our families. Nobody's closer. Nobody knows the whys behind the things that you do or say, right? And, and so as you, as you are interacting with maybe family members who are, who are not believers in Jesus, like, I would encourage you, model your faith well. Love your family members well. They should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter what they believe, you love them. And there is nothing that they can do 
to make you stop loving them. It has to begin with love. You know, Jesus didn't say that people would know you are a Christian by your theology. He said they will know you are a Christian by your love. And so start with just a consistent lifestyle as a follower of Jesus. And then I would say be transparent. So the Apostle Paul wrestled with this sin nature inside of him. He writes in Romans chapter 7, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here's a guy who wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament. He's saying, you know what? Even though I'm listening to God and I'm writing down what God is asking me to do, I still struggle in my everyday walk as a man, as a, a man of God, as a disciple of Jesus. And so like, he's like, I think he's saying, like, he's modeling for us, be transparent in those struggles. Like, no, nobody wants to, to, to try to appear to be perfect because like, it's, it's just an unattainable goal this side of heaven. And so let your kids or your other family members who are not believers in Jesus, like, let them see your failures. Like, don't, don't try to cover something up. They, they know what's going on. Right? And, and, but also talk to them about how you're wor- working through those struggles. Right? And just and, and be honest, like what Paul, I think he's saying, he's, 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 he's demonstrating regret and sorrow for his sin. But he realizes that for the, for the grace of God, we're, we're all lost. And so talk about, you know, in the midst of the struggles that you have in your life, talk about God's grace, about his love, his, his mercy, his forgiveness. About how it was abundantly showered upon you and can be for them as well. And then third, I'd say, talk about Jesus. You know, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So Peter's like, look, you're you're not going to argue your your family member into heaven. You're just not. Do this with gentleness and and respect. This isn't about preaching at them or wagging your finger at them. It's it's, it's not even about getting them to make a decision to follow Jesus. This is is about your relationship with with God through your faith in Jesus and your relationship with your your loved one. And it's just this this understanding of of how our lives are built on relationship. Right? So, So talk to them. Like, look, here, here's what my life was like before I knew Jesus, how, before I committed my life to Jesus. And, and now here I am, I'm working out my salvation. I'm trying to figure out what does it mean for me to be more like Jesus. And I struggle with this all of the time. But I'm looking forward to, I have this hope, this hope that is mine because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And three days after he died, he walked out of the tomb, resurrected, alive, and he conquered sin and death once and for all. That's what my hope is built on. And to be honest with your, your family member, your, your son or your daughter, whoever it might be in your family that's not a believer in Jesus, and say, you, you can have that same hope. You really can. And honestly, I mean, underneath all of this, 
I would say pray. Pray for your unbelieving son or daughter. Pray for your unbelieving parents or family member. Like prayer's the work. That's, it's, it's where how God works and how, how God moves in people's hearts. He listens to us. Like we've talked about this. And so pray for, for, for God to, to soften their hearts to these spiritual conversations that you can have with them. So, so now we'll, we'll move on to the next three questions. And, and I'm going to read them to you like we received them, and then whenever I show up on the screen, we'll, they'll, they'll show you the, kind of the shorter version. So here's the three questions, and we'll take them one by one. So why should we wait until marriage to have sex? other than because God says so. Why does God say so? Second question, is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol? And then third, with all the positive things being said about cannabis use or marijuana, is there any reason for a Christian to avoid using it? And these are great social questions. These are things that, that people are wrestling with and dealing with and wondering about in culture today. And Christians are wondering and having conversations are with other Christians and non-believers and all that. So I think it's important for us to talk about these things. And I also wonder, you know, we got these questions and, you know, I, I'm always like, what's, what's behind this question? Is this, you know, is this a question from somebody who's like, so how much can I get away with, Pastor? Right? Are these just respectable sins? Like, ah, oh, it's okay, you know. Like, where do we really stand on these things? So saying all that, uh, let's just take them one by one. So the first question is, why should we wait until marriage to have sex? And so first, we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman in a single exclusive union until death. God created sexual intimacy to only occur between a man and a woman within the marriage covenant. And therefore, we believe there should be celibacy in singleness. And so, in answering this question, I'm, I'm doing so in the context of the church, right? And for believers and followers of Jesus. And so, we believe that, that marriage was created by God in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And then, Jesus reaffirmed the marriage covenant, and, and he added that it would be a lifelong covenant in Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, here's the thing. It, there, there is nowhere in the Bible that it actually says, the, you know, thou shalt not have premarital sex. Right? It doesn't say those, that, that phrase. But, but it does say that, that there's you know, something else. And so just because the Bible doesn't address something, that doesn't mean that, that, that you can or, or should have sex outside of marriage. There's just lots of things in the Bible that aren't mentioned. Right? But, but there are clearly places within the context of Scripture that, that establishes sex outside of marriage that's saying, you know, this, this is really falls into kind of the general classification of sexual immorality. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Paul writes, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And, and so we, we save sex for marriage precisely because it, it is natural and it's normal. It's beautiful. 
so we can keep it that way. So that it doesn't become common and sordid and manipulative and diseased and, and cheap. But instead that it is precious and personal and clean and, and sacred. I mean, think, think about it this way. You don't put fences around weeds, do you? You put fences around gardens to protect them. We, we don't put our, our dirty socks under lock and key in our hotel room. We, we put our rings in our wallet in, in a safe. Holding sex until marriage doesn't make it unnatural. I think it makes it priceless. And, and another reason that we say you know, we want to save sex until marriage is that it is a, it's the picture of the covenant between Jesus and his church. Paul writes that, that Paul is the, or that, that Jesus is the groom and, and, the, and the church is the bride. And, and, it's, and, and so sex in that picture is the most exquisite indicator uh, in, the, in the covenant relationship to, to describe the, the indescribable pleasures that, that, we, that await us in, in full fellowship with Jesus in heaven. And so for Jesus, Father, I think that, that sex outside of marriage is, is a lie about Jesus and his relationship to the church. It, it, it's a lie about where our ultimate joy is to be found. And I'm, I'm so passionate about marriage and so, so passionate about protecting marriages and preparing for marriages. I'm always telling single people, you know, pray for your future spouse. Make decisions based on for your future spouse. Right? Because, and I do that because I, I see how men and women and husbands and wives and, and really their children are impacted by, by a non-biblical view of sex and marriage. Second question under this category. Is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? Yes. It's okay for a Christian to have a drink. The, the first miracle performed by Jesus, right, was turning water into wine, right? However, don't you love it when there's however coming from the pastor, right? There are some things to think about before you leave here saying, woohoo, the pastor said I can drink, baby, right? So the first thing I want to say is, like, we do have freedom in Jesus. Paul writes in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so we, we have these choices to make about how we're going to live. And as long as we're, we're making those choices to, to honor God and to obey his commands, I think it's, it's good. It's life-giving. But we also have a, a responsibility to, to, to use this freedom, to steward this freedom wisely and well. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And, uh, in other words, how it is and, and, you know, and, and when you have a drink, it, it matters. So if you're, you're with a friend who is an alcoholic, I think Paul would say, Hey, you, yeah, you, you have the freedom to, to have a drink, but it wouldn't be wise for you to do so. If you were friends who are, are who you're with friends who are under 21 and you're over 21, like you, you have the freedom to drink, but I would say it would be unwise to drink in that situation. And if you're under 21, the law is clear. 
So I think Paul is saying, look, you know, our actions as, as followers of Jesus, they have meaning. They should have purpose. We need to steward those decisions well. And it's also important to remember that, that drinking, it, it shouldn't gain control over us. And drunkenness is prohibited in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 6.12. Paul's like, hey, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Drunkenness is being mastered by alcohol. Romans 13, 13 and 14, it says, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Your life and my life as disciples of Jesus matters. I just, I, I love and I just, I really appreciate, you know, Paul saying to us, clothe yourselves with, with, with Jesus. Right? It just, like, that's, like, we're not supposed to be thinking about what can we get away with, but how close we can get to our Heavenly Father. Right? And so it's about our intent. It's about our desire. Right? Is it, is it upward? Is it glorifying to Him? Or is it self-centered? Just about gratifying our, our desires. Our intent matters. God. And then the, the last question under this category, really, I think many Christians are asking this question because of medical technology and, and, and changes in the law. And here's the question. Is there any biblical reason to avoid the use of cannabis or marijuana? So, you know, back when marijuana was, was illegal, I think most Christians would say, well, you know, since it's illegal, we shouldn't do it. And like that, you know, that just was the basis of, of their reason for not doing it. But now... Things have changed in our culture, right? With the legalization of CBD oil and, and even recreational marijuana use. So now in churches and with Christians, this has become a bit murkier because we can't just like put it on the government anymore. But we got to put it on scripture. We got to put it on what we believe and how we interpret scripture. And so for me, you know, when it, when it comes to marijuana, I think there, there's a distinction, right? There, between prohibition and, and wisdom. And so scripture doesn't have an explicit prohibition. Be like, hey, don't smoke weed. That's not in the Bible, right? But so as we said earlier, right? There, so there's biblical freedom at, at one level that, that we don't want to set up a, a law or a rule that the Bible itself doesn't place. As I said earlier in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, I have the right to do anything, say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so I think this question really gets, comes into kind of the category of, of wisdom. E even if it's permissible by the government to use, is it wise to use it? And so personally, pastorally, I, I, would, I have some big reservations and that I would argue that it's not wise to smoke weed. So some of uh, what I've heard from people, right, some people would argue, you know, hey, like this, it's, just like, it's just like alcohol, right? It's a social thing. 
And, and I think they, they, they know, like they know I'm a pastor or whatever, and it's just like they, they know there are instances of you know, appropriate use of alcohol, right? We see that in Scripture. But, but I think there's some, some important differences and distinctions. And so uh, uh, one of those would be for me, like, this, that, like it's, it's a, ho- a whole lot harder to, to, to use weed and kind of toke up, right, and, and not have the equivalent of what would be considered drunkenness or being intoxicated. I mean, it just, it's, it's a low bar that's set with, with this, right, if we're, 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 we're smoking weed, right? And, and so, like, to become intoxicated with using it. And, and, and likewise, I, I don't know for, for every individual if this is true or not, but it seems like to me in, in our culture today that, that the use of, of marijuana is geared more towards disconnecting and disengaging from life and from people. You see, in alcohol, like even in the scriptures, right, when it's appropriately used and in moderation, it's, you know, part of the goal is, is, is community and celebration and themes of bringing people together to celebrate what God has done, to celebrate the, the life that he has given us in Jesus. And yet to, to contrast that with, with marijuana use, it, marijuana use, it, it seems to me it's more of a, an individualistic that, that pulls you away from people, pulls you, pulls you within yourself and, and causes you to become even more disengaged, not only from people, but from life in general. But for us as followers of Jesus, we're, we're created for community. There's a phrase that is used throughout the, the New Testament. It's, it's called one another. It's a one another statement. It's used 100 times in 94 verses. And because of, of what it does to, to community, for, uh, you know, as followers of Jesus, I don't think it's wise to, to smoke marijuana and from that perspective. But I also, you know, from the perspective of what it does to our bodies, right? I, I don't think it's wise either. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Do you not know that your bodies are, are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive, have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. But what, what about CBD oil? How about using that? Now, that, that's been shown to, to, to have many, many therapeutic benefits. And, and here's the thing. that The best oils contain less than three-tenths of a percent of THC. And, and THC is that... that the, the hallucinogenic component of marijuana, right? So, so if the THC percentage is, is verified below that point, that, that kind of that threshold, right? There, there's really little danger in using CBD oil in, in typical doses that are, are going to impair us, right? So for me, the, the wise part in this is this should be done under the direction of a medical doctor. And so... As you think about this for yourself, family members, friends, whoever ask you these kind of questions, this is one of those like, non-essentials or disputable beliefs in a Christian faith. Right? Some people would say, hey, anything that comes from marijuana, don't use it. It's sin, right? Others would say, you know what? CBD oil, that can actually have good health benefits for us. And so it comes down to you deciding of searching the scriptures of listening to God and making a decision. All right, you survived. 
the PG question. Nobody ran out of here. Praise God. All right, so, so let me cover one last question um, and, uh, as we wrap up. And here's the question. How am I both righteous and a sinner at the same time? I love this question. Great. The fact is, as, as followers of Jesus, we, we are sinners who, who absolutely deserve God's wrath and punishment. And at the same time, we are saved children of God who are declared righteous because of the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. And now, here's the thing, and I think we all know this. We, we, we do this sinner part all by ourselves, just fine and dandy, right? Paul writes in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We also know that, that we can't earn our righteousness before God. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So where does our righteousness come from? If it's not from us, it comes from God. Paul writes that it is the gift of God through faith in Jesus. And it's because of Jesus we, we receive mercy, not judgment. We receive grace, not condemnation. You know, we were talking about how, how Paul wrestles with his sinfulness in, in, in Romans chapter 7. He, 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 he wants to do what's right in God's eyes. But he doesn't always do what he wants to do. He doesn't always say what he wants to say. Sometimes he actually he says the exact opposite of what he wants to say. And he does the exact opposite of what he wants to do. And in, that, in this very transparent uh, chapter, we, we just see like this, this battle that is constantly going on in all of our souls. Paul writes, as we said earlier, let me just read one more verse to you, Romans 7, 24 and 25. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Both. On this side of, of heaven, we'll always be wrestling with both. But the story doesn't end in Romans chapter 7. Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 8 that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. In fact, I, I, I'd say he, he doubles down here. He says there is nothing that can separate you and me from the love of God that is found in Jesus. And so we, yes, we, we will continue to battle every single day as we walk this earth, right? But, but the good news is that, that because we are in Jesus and, and, and because we, we've put our, our faith in Jesus, he, we are declared his sons and his daughters. We are adopted into the family of God, right? That we may be battling this, this sin nature here on earth, but ultimately the war has been won. Because after Jesus was sent to the cross to die, he was put in this tomb. And during three days, his disciples and his followers, they, they were mourning. They, they were like, what's next? We, we've lost our Savior. But on Easter morning, Jesus walked out of the tomb, resurrected, alive, and he conquered sin and death forever. And so that's what we're looking forward to. This, so yes, 
We, we mourn our sin. We, we repent of our sins. We ask for forgiveness for our sins. And we walk in the victory that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, I am so grateful to be a part of a church that asks questions that are, are meaningful, that demonstrate that we're wrestling with our faith, that challenge me and, and challenge all of us to know what we believe and, and why we believe it. And, it. and it gives us the opportunity, God, to, to look to your word instead of looking to culture for answers. And so God, I, I pray that as we wrestle with questions and doubts, Father, that our, the, the reoccurring question that would always underlie that is, how does the Bible inform this? That you would form a, a biblical worldview in us that is really shaping us and molding us as disciples of Jesus. May we continue to, to wrestle and continue to search your scriptures, to hear you speak to us through your word. Because we know your word is, is life-giving because it, it's the story of Jesus. So may we, God, always read our Bibles. May we look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. We walk through this life together. Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.